Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but they cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can, their, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make your increase, both uh, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Good morning. You are awake. Good to hear you, hear your voice. The Lord is the one we thank. He is faithful to us, isn't he? And we just think about that, especially on a day like today, uh, a weekend focused on Thanksgiving. And I trust that maybe our world around us is a little more aware or at least thinking about the necessity to thank God for all that he's done. And I trust that we can communicate that through our, through our lives. But we've come here this morning to worship the Lord. He is our living hope. He's the one who is with us in the, in the day-to-day sort of things. And he's the one who provided for us eternally. And we need to... Uh, We need to remember that. So let's uh, pray together before we look into the word. We're back in Acts chapter 8 again this week. And uh, let's see what the the Lord has to teach us. And Lord, as we do look to you as our hope, our shield, our strength, our help, um, we want to recognize all that you've done for us. And Lord, we want to be faithful in our attitude toward you. So we pray that as we come to your word this morning, uh, we would come to it not simply as something that will help us, will do for us, will give to us, but we'll come to your word realizing that you have already given, you have already blessed, you have saved, Lord, and you are constantly providing. Help us to come with the right attitude saying, Lord, What can we do for you? How can we serve you? We recognize that you need nothing. But you desire to have a relationship with us. A relationship based on truth. 
And as we look at that relationship, we recognize all that we owe you in terms of responding in love to you. So may this time that we spend together be simply that, our response from our hearts to you, our worship to you, because you're a God who's worthy. You're a God who has done so much in terms of the cross and eternal salvation, in terms of daily provision. Lord, may our hearts be overwhelmed and may we just want to walk with you in return, serve you, and trust in you through all that we face in this life. So guide us, direct us as we look into your word this morning. Help us to learn. Help us to learn from you, Lord, your spirit, prompting, poking our hearts. And uh, Lord, help us to glorify your name. We pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Acts chapter 8, starting back in at verse 14. We're in the middle of the story, uh, the story about, well, where Simon the magician comes in. And really, um, we could say this is part two to that message. Last week, you might remember, we were talking about what everyday Christians can do. And just that idea that these were young believers. These people, like the church had initiated just weeks before. And we see these young believers, young chronologically in the Lord, and all of a sudden, uh, they're scattered because of persecution. They're under pressure. I mean, they hadn't even, but just got established And all of a sudden, there's an attack on Christianity. There's an attack on them. So how do they respond? Do they fold? No. They they leave. Yeah, some of them leave Jerusalem to escape the persecution. But as they go, they're telling people about Jesus Christ. It just becomes a natural outflow. And as they're on the run, they're in ministry. They're just pouring out what Christ has filled them with. And this, if nothing else, helps us to understand that when it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to being a a voice for Him, for His gospel, it doesn't have to do with, well, you've got to be in the church for this many years or this many months or this much time. It's more about walking with the Lord than it is about how long we've walked with the Lord. And so when we come to know Christ, if we know Him, we should be full of Him. We should be overflowing with Him and His love. As I say that, I go, how often does my life reflect that sort of, wow, just brimming, full, overflowing love to other people? How often do I I settle into just a routine Christian life where I'm just, I'm just plugging away. I just, you know, and people go, wow, looks like he's just plugging away. <laughs> if that's what the Christian life is, <laughs> is that what I want to be a part of? And there are times where we're overwhelmed, where we're struggling. But there should be much more in our lives of this overflowing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about simply doctrines and knowing those doctrines and following them. 
It's about a relationship with Christ. It's about the, the, the Lord of those doctrines. And those teachings are all about Him coming close to us. Him being present in our lives. And we know from the Word, He is. We know that when we are saved, it says His Spirit enters us. And yet, how often do we live the Christian life in simply a cold and calculating way? Rather than as a relationship that is renewed every morning as we get up, as we meet with the Lord, and as we say, okay, Lord, this is where I'm at. <laughs> I know you're with me in this, though. I know that you are, are, are my strength, my shield. I know that you're my eternal hope. And I don't have to worry about all of the issues that everybody else is worried about and that I'm often overwhelmed with. Because you're my God. You're my strength. And you can be my peace and my joy. Are you hearing me on this? And then this isn't a chastisement for you guys. This is, I'm talking to all of us because I realize where I'm at too. And I just, I, I think of it. I think of, you know, when we first came to Christ, when you first knew him, how overflowing was that? How overwhelming was that? How much w did you want to talk about that with other people? And, and that's what we're seeing here. This fresh Christian relationship, even in the toughest circumstances, and they're overflowing. And we saw it specifically in, in Philip's ministry and what he did. He's just a servant in the church. I mean, he probably hadn't known the Lord too long either. And yet... He went and he, he shared the gospel, the authoritative word, like Christ did, right? There's something in what he's saying that speaks to me, people are saying. That's authoritative. That's real. We believe that. And it was what the, the believers were praying for in Acts chapter, I think it was 4. They said, yeah, 429, Lord, give us boldness that we would might preach your gospel. And then in the very next verse, they said, and you, you give the signs that will authenticate this word. Remember? Authoritative, authenticating signs. And as, they, as, as Philip preached this gospel and as he did works and the people went, this is the real thing, there was authentic results too. People were coming to know the Lord. It wasn't just their jumping on a bandwagon and wow look at this guy he's doing some miracles wow this seems like a good deal we want to be a part of this they were coming to christ the gospel was affecting their life it was transforming their hearts and that is what real ministry is all about people coming to christ being encouraged to receive the salvation that christ offers them as he lays down his life for them they go, hey, I want to lay down my life for him. And, of course, we read in Acts chapter 8, 12, it says, they believed and they were baptized, showing that commitment. He laid down his life for me. I'm laying down my life for him. I'm committed to following him. Even Simon, Simon the magician, even him. 
he said, this is the real thing. I'm going to give up my charades. I'm going to give up my, my show, which was just a bag of tricks, and I'm going to follow something that's real because what these guys are doing, it's not, it, it, it's not a charade. It's not a joke. This is the real thing. But did he lay his heart or his, lay his life down at the foot of the cross? And that's really the question that we come up against as we go into the rest of this passage as we look through these verses 4 to, or 14 to 25. And I want you to think about the challenge that this guy had. Because there are people in our world today who have this sort of challenge when it comes to uh, coming to Christ, coming to the Lord. He was not, it was not simply being a human being with all the normal, self-centered, stumbling blocks. Because we all had those, didn't we? I mean, we want to do things our way. We want to follow our own line of thinking. We want to get what we want out of this life. And when we come to the Lord, that's hard enough. But think about someone like Simon who built a life out of being the Lord. Yes, we all have that in our own hearts and minds. We all think of ourselves as the Lord and Master until we come face to face with Jesus Christ. And then we still struggle with being Lord and Master. But this guy had everybody looking at him thinking, he is the guy. He's the man. He is he's so great. He built an image for himself. He built an image around himself. He is like, well, they often use the term, he's a rock star, right? Anybody who's a superstar, who people look up to, they go, oh, that guy, he's... He's like a rock star. He had a larger-than-life persona and all of the confusion and disorientation that that brings. Think about it in the people who we know in this world today that are considered the superstars. How much of a struggle it would be for them to lay their life down before Christ. How challenging, not just the normal human stuff, but also the people around them saying, you're the greatest. The people who don't want them to give up that persona because they're getting something out of it. They're making money off it or feeling better about themselves. And they're saying, you're wonderful. And we we think about some of those individuals in the past and even now. And how their lives seem to disintegrate. Because it seems like they start to think, wait a second, if I'm it, if I'm where it's at, if I'm the pinnacle, and look at how I feel, look at my insecurities, what's left? And then their life seems to disintegrate. It's either drugs or sometimes it's suicide or... You know, just stuff like that. And so we look at this guy and maybe we have a little more sympathy even for some of those people who are at the top who are rock stars and 
who are trying to come to Christ or seem like they're making, I, I don't know if you, if you even know these names, like this guy Kanye West, you've heard of him, makes a profession of faith. And I mean, he's got a lot of issues. He's got a lot of things to cut through. But you wonder, is it real? But is it just the baggage that this guy has to work through? Or there's our very own Justin Bieber. Just from Stratford here. And he gives testimony. Coming to Christ. And you think, wow, how much harder is it for someone like that, who's been treated like a God, to lay their life down for God? And you know, maybe as we, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, get together, this is where we need to start to give thanks. That we didn't get sucked into something like this. I know that any one of you out there could have been a rock star. (laughs) No, but just think of it. Thank you, God. Thank you that we didn't get sucked into this charade where people exalted us and lifted us up and said, Oh, they're my idol. Imagine how confusing that would get for us as a human being. I mean, our natural self, we want to be significant. We want people to think well of us. We want people to lift us up. And if they did, what damage would happen? How things would fall apart? Well, we may not be rock stars. We may not be the center of attention. But the internet is giving us an opportunity to, to work at it, right? To build a bigger profile and be great people. But anyways, in this passage we're going into this morning, the apostles arrive on the, on the scene and we learn something about having humility while the holy God works through us in this world. And what we see is a little progression. Follow it as I read through these verses. Philip steps back. The apostles step in. And Simon, he steps right in it. Okay? That's just how it goes. Let's read. Verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaritans, or that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone who I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness 
and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The points that we're going through here, this is, uh, as I say, part two. This is what everyday Christians should not do. Uh, The first thing, everyday Christians should never cling to a spotlight. Everyday Christians should never serve themselves. And everyday Christians should never seek stardom. And in this first point that I want to make, everyday Christians should never cling to the spotlight. We should be like Philip. And you're saying, wait a second, it doesn't mention anything about Philip in that passage. And that is my point. Uh, That is the point that I'd like to make. Now I know you don't want to make arguments from silence and make up something about something that isn't even said. But what I want us to take note of is that Simon was the guy who went in here. He was the one who preached the gospel and, and got the ball rolling among these this group of Samaritan people in this situation that was sort of, we would say, a God-forsaken situation. There's a lot of idolatry. And he could be thinking a whole lot about himself at this point in time. I'm the founder of this work. But we don't get that sense that he was anywhere thinking, you know, I've got to be at the forefront here. I've got to be in the limelight. I've got to be the one that everybody's remembering here. He just seems to disappear. I mean, in the next passage that we'll be studying next week, he'll be off somewhere else doing the same sort of thing, talking about the Lord, sharing the gospel with somebody else, making an impact. And I think sometimes we are in great danger simply because we are in one situation, God uses us graciously, and we start to think something about ourselves. But that wasn't what happened with Philip. Maybe he was surprised to the extent of how he used was used. But we don't hear anything unhealthy coming from him. Maybe just a sigh. <laughs> oh good, Peter and John are here. They can take things from here. And that is where our passage really begins. And what did it mean that Peter and John came? The title of this, Everyday Christians Should Never Serve Themselves. And you know, we we see these guys coming down as, well, these guys are the leaders of the church. Here they are, they're coming in to this new situation in Samaria. And we know about the disciples. We know about the struggles that they had fighting for preeminence among themselves, don't we? Do you remember when they were talking about who was going to be the greatest? Do you remember when James and John and their mother came to Jesus and said, hey, can one of these guys be on the right and the left hand? We know what human nature is like. We know our own hearts. And I think when we see the, the apostles coming from Jerusalem down to Samaria, 
we have in our mind, oh, they're going to check things out. But I don't think we should think about what they're doing in the same way that we remember the Pharisees or the religious leaders came from Jerusalem to check out Jesus' ministry. You remember what that was all about, don't you? As they came in to assess Jesus' ministry, they were saying, does this agree with what we say? Does this measure up to our standard of excellence? And more importantly, does what this guy's saying affirm us as the guys who should be in charge? That was how the religious leaders were checking out Jesus, but we don't see that here. I want you to notice three different things that are, are, are said here. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that the apostles or the Jewish Christians never had a twinge of prejudice. Because that happens, doesn't it? It happens all the time. We look at people and we go, why can't they be more like us? If it's a, a language or a culture or something like that, or even a color, yeah, those things happen. And we need to be honest about that. There's prejudice everywhere in the world. And it is very possible in this time that the apostles felt that. What's going on, Samaritans? We know how godless that place is. We know how about their pagan worship, and we know before that they'd even departed from worshiping the one true God. So I'm not saying that none of that happened, but let's see what did happen. First of all, we get a sense that there's something different going on here when it says they sent to them Peter and John. It didn't say that Peter and John were sent to check things out. It didn't say... Well, they were going down there to put this apostolic stamp of approval on things. Or they were going down there to discount what was going on. It says, sent Peter and John to them. As we go on, it says that in verse 15, that they prayed for them. And then in verse 17, it says, they laid hands on them. And in each of these three statements, we get the idea that these guys were going down there for the benefit of those who were there. They weren't going down there as, hey, we're the boss here, and we're going to say whether this is all right or not, or we're going to, we're going to talk about you know, Samaritans. And we didn't get the sense that they're trying to uh, establish another franchise and bring the prophets into the mothership in Jerusalem. And, you know, we've got to be in control of this. Rather, you get the idea that they were coming there to show accepta acceptation. Am I saying something? In acceptance, yeah. I think I'm saying something in Spanish, that, uh, <laughs> the Spanish way of saying it. Acceptance affirmation, identification, here's another one, capacitation, do we say that in English? Capacitating? Yeah, that's a word very common in Spanish, but maybe not in English. Okay, capacitating, do we say that? What? Training? We don't say that. Okay. These are words that get stuck in my mind, and, and they're 
they, they're good. But anyways, let's, let's forget the language lesson, get back to what was going on. These guys were affirming what was going on here. They were coming in and they were saying, hey, you guys are on the right track. We're going to pray for you. We want you to be able to go on with the Lord yourselves. They weren't saying, okay, you guys are second class Christians. I mean, we're the Jews. We're the real Christians. And you guys can kind of tag along with us. We know that happened later on in the New Testament. And Paul was trying to correct that attitude. But that's not what happened here. They didn't just try and connect them to the church in Jerusalem. But they say, hey, we're going to pray for you guys so that you guys know the power of God in your own life. You have the Holy Spirit too. And this is really curious that this happens in this way here. Because in all the other instances, you know, people were coming to the faith, they were being baptized, and, and they had the Holy Spirit in them. But in this situation, there was this delayed effect. And we scratch our head and go, why? But this seems to be what is going on. That God wants these people to understand. It's not just, oh, you became Christians because of hearsay. You're kind of, no. He wanted them to know that the same spirit that was working in the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, was also in their lives. And so the actual apostles came, those who had followed Christ, those who, who God said, hey, I'm going to build my church through you guys and your ministry. They came. They prayed for these people. They received the Spirit. And they knew, hey, we're one with Christ. We're a legitimate part of the body of Christ in this world. And so what we see here, we see here these apostles coming to serve the people. They weren't coming to put them into subjection. They were coming to confirm, to signal that this salvation was real. It was authentic. It was true. These people were directed directly connected to the Lord as well. And this is how the apostles were selflessly serving this new branch of the Christmas tree, of the, Christmas tree, of the Christian family tree. I tell you, we're having problems this morning, aren't we? <laughs> I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> So they were serving them. They were serving them. They were reaching out to them. They were bringing them into the family. When we know, we know because of the prejudice at that time, that shouldn't have happened. There was every reason for there to be division, for them to be saying, Samaritans, Christians, not possible. For them to be pushing them away. But they jumped over tremendous obstacles, tremendous obstacles to come to them, embrace them, bring them in. Selflessness. So first of all, hey, a Christian, an everyday Christian, isn't looking to be in the spotlight. Steps back, ready to 
let other people step in and serve and do their part. Secondly, everyday Christians should be ready to serve other people. That is, that is the heart of, of Christ's heart, to serve others. And it should be ours as well. And we see it in the leaders in the church who might have been thought of as the superstar Christians. No, they were there to serve other people. And then finally, everyday Christians should never seek stardom. And this is where we get into it with with Simon. It says, uh, the apostles laid hands on people, on the Samaritans, and they received uh, the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money. Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter's response. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You've never, never, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall and bitterness and bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me. Pray to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So we have this contrast. We have Simon. He's saying, wow, look at the power these guys have. And he was a man who, who understand, understood the power and influence that you could have over people and he enjoyed that position and he went i want a piece of this action who can blame him how many of us who are truly regenerate were christians for a longer period of time than him having studied the humility of christ and the call to submit to deny ourselves and follow him. And still there are times where we, we long for a bit. A bit of the power. We long for, uh, I guess, people to look to us and say, wow, they're a great person. And we think, man, I've given up so much for the Lord. I should, you know, get something out of this. I should have things go my way. I should have things work out for me. And we start to think about it as though we're striking a bargain with God, you know? Look at I came to you and I accepted you as my Savior. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? And it's like we ignore the whole fact that Jesus Christ already died for us and gave us eternal life, relationship with God forever. And so we, we, we start thinking wrongly about this whole thing. And well, Simon, he was very upfront about it. He wasn't subtle at all, the way we older Christians know how to be subtle. He says, okay, I got cash here. What, what can I give you so that I might be a part of this very real thing that's going on? 
And we understand. And I would say, especially if he was not a believer at this time, we understand even more. Because what does he have in him to change his natural way of thinking? He's seeing something that's real. He's seeing something that's good. And he says, hey, I want to be a part of that. But we have to realize when we come to Christ, if we come to Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we have no bargaining power. We don't come with anything. We're in the hole. We can't even declare bankruptcy and, and come up to zero again. We're in sin. And we have no hope whatsoever. And it is actually Christ who came to us. And He's the one who came to us and His Spirit worked in our hearts and He brings us around to the place where we understand our deficit. We understand the hole we're in. We understand the condemnation that we're under. And He says, here, I'll save you. I'll pull you out of that hole. I'll pay your debt. I'll save your soul. And that is really the understanding that we need to have as Christians. And it's the understanding that we need to go back to again and again and again, especially as we walk with the Lord. Because sometimes, you know, as we walk with the Lord, we grow in the Lord, we do more. In terms of serving the Lord, and Satan always wants to use everything for ill in our lives. And the more you serve the Lord, the more we serve the Lord, the more he says, he just gives us a little pat in the back, says, you're doing a great job. You are a wonderful person. And God's lucky to have you. Right? And we all of a sudden things start getting foggy and we forget about the gospel and we forget about the whole truth and nothing but the truth that no God saved us and we are fortunate to have him because without him we're nothing without him we're fooling ourselves to think that we are anything And with him, by his grace, he has made us something. And the moment we turn from him again, we fall. We fall, we fail, we're hopeless. And so what we see here, we see this guy, Simon, who didn't understand that Jesus paid it all. That it's all to him we owe. And it seems that at this point in time, Simon exposed the fact that his faith was not real. He said, wait a minute. He believed. He got baptized. You know what? There's another great passage as far as clarifying things in John chapter 2, verse 23. It says, you know, Jesus was doing signs And it says, the people believed in Jesus. Uses that word. It says, they believed in Jesus. But it also says in the next verses, Jesus didn't believe in them. 
because he knew their hearts. And so we understand that sometimes when it talks about belief, there's just a superficial sort of belief. I mean, for Simon, it, it was logical. He knew what he was doing was just tricks. He was deceiving people. He was making some money. People were following him saying, oh, he's the great one. And all of a sudden he sees people that are doing things that are not tricks, that are actually power, the power of God. People are being healed and people are being transformed. Hearts are being transformed. And so it's logical to him that I want to get on this bandwagon. I want to learn how I can become a part of this. How can I be one of the big guys who's going around and I can have real power, not this fake sort of controlling, manipulative power that I had over people. Well, he only believed. He didn't really have faith. And so, when we're in that situation, we recognize when we are trusting or when we're looking to get something out of God, when we're thinking that this Christianity is for our benefit, we realize we're, we're, we're off track. We're not where we're supposed to be at. And it's not even miracles. It's not even those powerful miracles that change the thing. It's the transformation of our heart. And I just was thinking another example of this in terms of the Israelites who came out of Egypt. Above anybody else, they saw miracles. They saw God's power in its rawest form. They were the ones who saw the plagues in Egypt. They were the ones who walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. And then once they got to the other side, they were shaking their fist at God. They were complaining and saying, you know, we don't trust you. We want things to work out for us. We want to get something out of this. They forgot about the whole salvation out of Egypt part. And we realize the danger. The danger of not really believing. The danger in thinking that we are good people. And that we have everything under control. And that God owes us because of who we are. And Paul talks about that as well, doesn't he? He talks about before he was a Christian. In Philippians chapter 3. And he, he goes through this grocery list of, you know, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. All the things that made people righteous in the Israelites' eyes at that time, he did them. He did all the good works. He did everything and people would have looked at him and went, that guy, that guy is on track with God. And then he says, after all of that, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, and I look at that stuff now as a true believer and I count it as skabala. I count it as, the word is refuse. Anything rotten or putrid 
that you see lying on the ground, that's skabala. Even animal excrement. And that's why in the old King James, it, it says he, he counted it as dung. And that's why I said Simon stepped in it. Philip willingly stepped back from the spotlight. The apostles, those great leaders, step in and step down to serve. But Simon, he stepped right in it, right in the skabala. Because he started thinking, hey, I'd make a great leader in this thing. Look, I was powerful over here even before Christ. Now I can come in, step in, be this great leader, and wow, I'll, I'll, I'll be a part of this. And sometimes we think that way. We think that way about ourselves. Sometimes we think that way about other people. Wow, that guy, he can really talk. He'd be a great preacher. If only we could get him saved. Or he's a, he's a politician. He can lead people. Oh, man. Or that guy, is a, he's a superstar. If he came to Christ, wow, how God could use him. And you know, we, we read Paul again in a passage in Corinthians. It says he delights to take the foolish things of this world. Because so often, if he was to take the most powerful things in this world and use them, people would still be focused on the natural ability these people had. And what God does is he, he takes us foolish people and he says, you know what, I want to use you and I want the focus to be on my power, on what is real and what is true, on the salvation and the gospel that I'm offering to the world. Not on who you are and how influential you are and how much ability you have. And that's what he does. But Simon didn't answer that. Simon didn't understand that, sorry. Simon, he, he thought, I was a great leader. I'll be that great leader again. And what does Peter say? Peter says, repent. Repent. Leave the skabala. Leave this thinking that you are a great person and should be a great person again. Don't, as, as the, it says in the Proverbs, the dog returns to its vomit. Don't return to that thinking of how am I going to make myself a great person? How am I going to be a superstar? Let's not do that. I know we're maybe not thinking we're going to be some rock star renowned in the world, but Satan's subtle and he uses little things to bring us back to this idea of, you know, you're a pretty good person. You're a pretty important person. We need to guard our hearts against that, don't we? We need to truly repent, turn around, turn away from all these natural desires. And even that, even that repentance is a gift. We read in Acts 11.38, we need to pray for that gift, to turn away from ourselves, to turn to the Lord, to lay down our lives, 
and take up our cross. Simon hadn't gotten it yet. And in this story, we're kind of left in the same way as we are at the end of the rich young ruler story. Do you remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, hey, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And at the end it says he turned away, went away sad when, when the Lord said, lay down your life, give up everything for me. He went away sad and we go, hmm, I wonder if he came back. And the only reason I would say that we have hope for him is that it says earlier in the story that Jesus looked on him and he loved him. And so we go, okay, maybe there's a part of the story we don't know about. Maybe he did come back to, come to faith, come back to Jesus and come to faith later on. We don't know. But I wonder this for, for Simon, because some of the things are pretty strong in terms of what Peter says. It seems definite that, well, almost definite, that he did not know the Lord. But then we think about how we often, knowing the Lord, allow our own natural stupid thoughts to well up and, and we think about ourselves as being uh, having something to offer to God. And this is where this story that we're dealing with this Sunday really collides with this idea of what this weekend is about, the Christian holiday of Thanksgiving. Because we start to think, okay, how is it that we, we tune our hearts up? How is it that we stay on track with this humble attitude before God? Well, we need to remember that we are nothing, that we have nothing, and that God has everything. And that anything that we have that is worthwhile has been given to us by Him. You see, we struggle as we go through this life. And as I said, the more we walk with the Lord, the more we can. No, I shouldn't say the more we walk with the Lord because in relationship with Him, we're constantly brought back to He is everything, we are nothing. But the longer we are Christians in the church and doing right things, the greater the danger in us starting to think that we're something. If it is simply that. If it is simply doing the right things. And what we understand, what we understand is we need to have this attitude that John the Baptist has or had, remember? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Here's this guy who Jesus said, greatest man born a woman. He had this role that was incredible. He didn't need all the trappings. He went out like a wild man in a, in a, camel hair <laughs> cloak and he was announcing the most important news ever the kingdom is coming the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he, he, here behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world and his mentality was 
He must increase, I must decrease. We need to have that attitude in our own lives. And in order to maintain that attitude, thankfulness is very important. You say, where does it begin? Where does it stop? It shouldn't ever stop. Because everything that we have comes from Him. Romans eleven thirty five and thirty six starts out this or says says this who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid talking about God who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid for from God from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever it's his glory. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is part of the sanctifying process in our lives. This isn't just something we should remember to do every once in a while. Remember to thank God. We should thank Him. This is an essential part of our growing as a Christian. Being thankful. Developing a thankfulness. Because if we're not being thankful, but every good and perfect gift that comes from God, we're living a lie. Wow. That's shocking, isn't it? We're starting to part from this dependent, submissive relationship that we have in the God of the universe. We're going to talk about this some more a little later. We're going to give you opportunity to give thanks. Let's think about this a little bit. Father, help us. Help us to understand the deal. We're nothing. We're lost. We're less than nothing as sinners. We're hopeless. And you were the one that came into this world and that purchased hope for us in the cross at Calvary. You paid for our sin. You brought us from being a rebellious person who had no hope and you reached out to us and you gave us salvation and hope through Jesus Christ and his blood. Lord, may our thankfulness start there. And may we be thankful about every blessing, every gift, every provision that you offer to us daily in this life. And may it lead us back into a fuller understanding of this relationship that we have with you as Savior and as Lord of our lives. Help us, we pray. Christ's name. And for your sake, Lord. Amen.